Thank you, Corey. Good morning. Most of you know what today is, and if you don't, I'm going to give you just a second to kind of reflect on what you might be forgetting. Uh, if, you, if you came this morning uh, specifically to be with your mom, you're probably on the right track. Uh, I want to let you know this morning that we do have a giveaway uh, for, for moms and for the ladies in our congregation uh, this morning. Um, after service, there's going to be some kids at the back of the auditorium who will be handing these out. We did flowers last year, and those are actually a lot easier to pass out than what we're do doing today. But I want to I tell you a little bit about um, our thinking behind the gift for mothers this year. Uh, Mother's Day is, it means different things to different people. Some of us had really good relationships with our moms and continue to have really good relationships with our moms. Uh, some of us never knew our mothers. Some of us are mothers. I'm not a mother. Uh, some of us, some of us want to be mothers. Some of us want to be mothers and can't be mothers. And I recognize that uh, Mother's Day carries a lot of different connotations for a lot of different people. But as I was thinking about uh, this, this idea of motherhood, I, you know, your phones do these funny things now where like they, they try to tug at your heartstrings and they show you pictures of like your kids from 10 years ago. Like just little pop-up that, hey, look how cute your child was. They're still cute, but look how especially cute they were 10 years ago. And one of the memories that popped up for me recently was a picture of Emma with her nose in the corner because she was in timeout. Now, I want to be clear, Emma was not a child that needed to be sent to timeout. Emma was a child that chose timeout for herself. This is, uh, you know, I, you, don't, you, you hesitate to, like, brag on your children, but, like, when Emma knew that she, maybe she was just a little out of line or she was getting a little hyped up or being a little, a little rambunctious or, you know all those things that children are supposed to be anyway, she'd go and she'd find a corner and she'd put herself in timeout. Now, probably the first couple times she went in timeout, it was because we put her there, but it became a learned trait. And the funny thing is, as Emma would go to timeout, Lorenda would say, can I put myself in timeout? I think as parents, we can all relate to the idea that sometimes being a parent is exhausting. Sometimes the relationships that we have can be tiring. Uh, maybe we had a parent that was tiring for us, a, a mother that maybe we didn't get along with so well, who took from us in, in some ways and we needed rest from that. As a mother, oftentimes you need rest from your children as much as you love and delight in them. Just a couple of minutes to yourself can be a really powerful thing. Uh, I find that one of the core themes of scripture is this idea that God has rest intended for his people. Sean at uh, our memorial yesterday had mentioned this idea that there is a Sabbath rest for God's people. Interestingly, that was a verse I had already chosen. There's a whole stack of these cards printed back there with this statement on it. And on the back is a little timer, uh, just a little hourglass. And I want to encourage you, you know, last year we gave all the dads cars. Uh, I know a timer doesn't seem as extravagant as that uh, until you think about the cars that we gave away, which were not even matchboxes. They were like less high quality than a matchbox. Sometimes we just need a reminder that God intends rest for us. And so moms, we, we want to encourage you that we want to give you a little time. If you are not a mom and you need rest in grieving not being a mother because you want to be a mother, we want to encourage you to take a little time 
to rest in the knowledge that God is still good. If you had a rough relationship with your mother, we want you to take some time to reflect on the ways in which God has blessed you, maybe with some of the women in this room who serve as a mother to you now. If you are a grandmother who is a mother to your grandchildren, we want to encourage you to take some time, especially because you're doing a really hard job at a stage in life that it's probably even harder than it was before. Take a minute or two and find some rest. And so this is more of a reminder for you moving forward. Maybe you want to take the little card that's been printed and and stick it somewhere that you can just remind yourself that God wants you to experience rest. And yes, there is the idea of a great rest that is to come, but God wants you to find rest today too. Oftentimes we are so unrested, we are so restless that pursuing a relationship with God can be difficult. We don't want to put any barriers in front of our moms, those who want to be moms, those who have been moms, those who have lost their moms. Whatever, whatever experience you might have with motherhood this morning, for you ladies that are here today, we want to let you know that we think God has rest for you. And some of you are thinking right now, I want to take a nap. So I'm giving you permission as I preach this morning. Take a nap if you need it. I've told a few older folks that before. Specifically older men tend to take naps during sermons. But uh, ladies, you're off the hook today if you want to close your eyes for a few minutes. Um, We are continuing a sermon series on the kingdom of heaven. And the, the idea that Jesus unpacks what the kingdom of heaven is all about through the parables. And for the next three weeks, we're going to take three parables that are very similar to one another and kind of unpack them a little bit. These are the lost things found parables. You have the lost sheep, the lost coins, and the lost, I'm going to say sons, not son. I think that there's something to be said both about the individual parables and what they communicate to us, but also this succession of parables that Jesus tells. One of the things I want to point out this morning, and we're going to come back to it over the next two weeks, is that there is an inversion of the number of things dealt with and the personal nature of the things dealt with. You have a hundred sheep, ten coins, two sons. I think Jesus builds that into this this series of parables intentionally. I think it's also important to recognize the audience that Jesus is speaking to. As, As we read in the scripture this morning, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. So all three of these parables are a response to grumbling Pharisees and scribes. That's important for us to recognize as we move through this series. This is not a general audience that's receiving these parables. Now, that doesn't mean that we as the general audience can't take a lot away from it. But the scribes and Pharisees are the targets, or the scribes, yeah, scribes and Pharisees are the targets of this particular series of parables. They're unhappy because as we've seen in previous parables, in the the last chapter especially, Jesus is really emphasizing that those who are on the outside have a place at the table. That in fact, it's those that are, are the least in society that Jesus longs to invite to the feast, to bring to the front of the table, to give them space to belong. 
And those that presume their space at the table, those who think that they know where they belong, those who want to move to the front, who say, you know what, I get so many invitations, I'm going to decline the invitation I've received. I'm that important. Those are the ones that Jesus really doesn't have a lot of time for. Jesus has time for everybody. I want to be clear on that. But the ones that he's really concerned about, in this parable especially, are those that maybe don't look like they belong. And so they, they look at Jesus and they say, this man receives sinners and eats with them. What is his problem? They're, they're so deeply concerned about this Jesus who has built up some notoriety for himself, who could really dine at any table he wants to. And in fact, in the previous chapter, he's spent time dining around the table of maybe one of these same Pharisees. And he chooses to eat with the sinners? Why would he do that? They're kind of mystified at Jesus and this unusual behavior of his. And so Jesus begins, as he often does, to tell a parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. Think about Jesus' words here and think about his audience again. I pointed this out to Kyle earlier this week. Sometimes you handle a text and you spend enough time looking at it and you find something peculiar for the first time. Uh, The thing that I find peculiar about this is that he is talking to men who are scholars about being shepherds. There's not a high likelihood that any of these Pharisees that are there with him have a hundred sheep of their own. They are not shepherds. They are, in fact, socially distinct from the shepherds. They are are as far removed from them in the kind of work that they do and the circles that they run in and the tables that they sit at as they possibly could be. And he begins by giving them this parable What man among you having a hundred sheep? And they're all like, hold on a second, I don't even understand the premise. Which should key us off to how difficult it is for these men to understand the meaning of the parables that Jesus is about to share. It might also be the reason that he heads in the direction he does with the specificity that he does. Let me start with an analogy that you won't understand. And he asks them this question, if just one sheep were lost, wouldn't you leave the 99 to go find the one? Now they're doing the math in their head, right? A hundred sheep, I've lost one. Would I go and follow it? Well, I don't know, because I'm not a shepherd. I've never done this before. This isn't my world. It's interesting to me that Jesus begins with the analogy of shepherds specifically because scripture deals almost exclusively in the best leaders of the Israelite people being shepherds at some point in their lives. Think about it for just a moment. Uh, Abram, the patriarch of the entire nation, begins life as a shepherd. You think about Isaac And you think about Jacob, and they are shepherds. You think about Moses, 
who doesn't begin life as a shepherd. He begins as a man living in a palace and goes out and becomes a shepherd. And it's only at that point, having lived in the household of the king and now being a shepherd, that he's really prepared to lead God's people through the wilderness. And when he acts most like a shepherd, Moses succeeds. And when he acts the most like a king, Moses severely fails. The same is true of David. David is a shepherd. David, the great king, the one that everyone wanted to see a return of, someone just like David to come and sit on the throne of Israel, in his best moments, behaved like a shepherd, caring for the flock, seeking the one lost sheep, fighting a bear or a lion in order to protect what had been given to him, putting his own life on the line for the benefit of those entrusted to his care. And at his worst, David acts like a king, putting the lives of others on the line for his personal benefit. Go read the story of Bathsheba and see how unlike it is, or how unshepherd-like it is for David to behave in this way. Scripture is filled with this image of a good shepherd leading God's people. And now Jesus approaches these people, these scribes and Pharisees who are responsible in many ways for teaching and instructing and maintaining the way of life of the people of God, and immediately puts them in an unfamiliar situation. It's almost as if Jesus is saying to them, not a single one of you knows what it means to lead God's people. You've got the laws down. You understand the rules, and you know by your own definition how to keep them. And in applying those laws to the flock, there are some sheep out there that are in desperate need of reclamation that you've neglected. How many of you with a hundred sheep would go out and seek the one lost? Every one of these men has to be convicted at this point. I don't even know what it means to seek the lost. I've spent my whole life caring for the ones who followed my rules, who stayed in the pen, and decried how lost and exiled that one belonged how much it needed to be the lost sheep. Why would I have ever gone and sought it out? But Jesus' parable, the man leaves the 99 to go find the one. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me! For I have found my sheep that was lost. See, the Pharisees, the way that they usually worked was that they exulted in the idea of someone being found in their sin and left there. Think about the story of the woman caught in adultery. I want you to just imagine this story for a moment. They find her, it says caught in adultery, and they drag her to Jesus, and they prepare to stone her. There is no rejoicing over having found her. 
is only the opportunity to kill one of the sheep. Let's stone her. They brought the one lost sheep back and now they're ready to kill her. And Jesus, in this parable, is telling us, hey, we should just be glad we found her. She's brought back. There is a question of what you do to the sheep when you bring it back. You know, if you've ever raised livestock, you know that an animal that's been separated from the herd sometimes needs a quarantine period before you bring it back into the herd because it might carry a disease that it caught while it was away. When you buy a sheep from another field, you probably don't bring it right into your flock because you may not know what that particular farmer has been feeding them the ways in which it's cared for them. You, you have to be careful about bringing it back into the flock. But what we do know is that the, the shepherd has brought the sheep home. It doesn't say that he brought it out to the open country like the other 99 sheep. He brought it home. And there's some time for care here that he's placed it on his own shoulders. Maybe the sheep is weak and can't walk itself back, right? Uh, maybe, maybe he's a little worried that it's going to squirrel away or something. This is an idea here that I think is essential for us to understand. Sometimes when we find that lost sheep, it needs special attention. It needs our time, our energy, our effort. What it really needs, most of all, is Jesus. The good shepherd, the one who is willing to leave the 99 to find the one. I think sometimes we become very impatient with the lost sheep when they are returned because we just want to add them right into the middle of the flock. We want to stick them in with the rest of the sheep. And we don't necessarily recognize that when someone has first come to Christ, when someone has finally realized that they were lost in the first place and Jesus has found them and carried them back, there's a rehabilitation period. I'd never noticed until just recently reading this, this parable that, again, he doesn't take it right out to the open country. He brings it home. And it's there at the home that he celebrates. And he invites company in to rejoice with him. You know, this is actually something that uh, in, our, in our Welcome Home ministry, uh, we've discussed a pretty significant bit, that when someone has come into the home, when someone becomes a part of the family, there needs to be some recognition of that, some rejoicing, some celebrating over them coming in. Uh, one of the things that we're getting ready to plan is our first uh, kind of Welcome Home luncheon, where we invite those who have been with us for a little while to come and just be appreciated, ask questions that they might have, uh, have, have an opportunity maybe for a little rehabilitation. We want to make sure that they're loved and cared for. And there might be some among us who are thinking, hey, you know, why don't I get a luncheon? I've been here for 30, 40, 50 years. Why don't I get a luncheon? Well, we'll give you a luncheon at some point if you really want one. We, we are all about having more luncheons, let, let me tell you. But sometimes the lost sheep is the one that needs the care, needs the special attention, some time to acclimate again. And I think it's important for us to recognize, first of all, that Jesus is speaking to a group of men who don't understand how this works. But he's also speaking to us. Most of us who have been a part of the church for a long enough period of time have forgotten how long it took us to acclimate to being a part of the church. Some of us have had the great fortune of having been a part of the church 
essentially their entire lives. And there was very little acclamation. And, and by the grace of God, maybe because we couldn't handle having been lost and needing to be found, God has placed us in a position where we didn't have to have a reacclamation. We were just acclimated from the very beginning. But I believe that Scripture is calling us to have empathy for the lost sheep. I believe that Jesus' words this morning are encouraging us to consider that, you know, maybe our opinion of what to do with the lost sheep doesn't, doesn't really matter. That the shepherd is the one who has the opinion. And the sheep don't rule the flock. It's a really difficult one, I think, for a lot of us to understand. The good shepherd is the king. The good shepherd is the one who provides the care. The good shepherd is the one who sets the tone for the flock. And sometimes we want to set the tone. We want to be the ones to do the work. We want to be the ones who decide whether or not a sheep belongs, who gets to eat at the table. And the good shepherd is telling us, look, I'm just glad that they're back. What do we do with the lost sheep? We make sure Jesus finds them. We make sure that they're ready for when Jesus brings them home. We make sure that we're ready for when they're back to be reacclimated. There's an interesting passage that I want us to look at this morning. Uh, it's, it's Zechariah 11. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you, not right now because it's a long passage and it's a little, a little difficult to cover the whole thing, I'd encourage you to go read Zechariah chapter 11 because it deals with this imagery of sheep. And I want to be clear, there's a point at which the good shepherd says, I am done with this flock. But optimistically, there's also a point where he says, but you know, at some point in time, I'll bring them back. But this, this little section here is really important to, to me in the understanding of what happens in this parable. Thus said the Lord my God, become shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. Those who buy them, slaughter them and go unpunished. And those who sell them say, blessed be the Lord, I have become rich. And their own shepherds have no pity on them. In this passage, there are a number of different types of shepherds that are dealt with. There's actually a, a group of three shepherds that are called out, and God essentially says to Zechariah, I am going to strike these shepherds down and take the flock back from them. And then, of course, he gets angry with the shepherds again. But, it, or, you know, it's really important to recognize it is not a perfect illusion here. But what happens here is that God essentially says, my people are sheep. And there are shepherds out there that would abuse them. Shepherds out there that would use them to become wealthy. Shepherds that would use them to find themselves in positions of power. Or shepherds that just care so little about them that all they see them as good for is for the slaughter. You might be thinking, isn't that what we raise sheep for? Well, yes, at some point in time, most sheep had an eventual life of uh, um, barbecue, I guess. Um, that, was, that was ultimately where many of them were headed for. But more importantly, for a longer portion of the life of a sheep, there was the desire to raise it for wool, to use its 
its wool in order to create beautiful garments that would be of value that could be sold and traded. The sheep had more value than just the slaughter. God says there are some shepherds that only see the end result, the slaughter. That's all these sheep are good for. Making me wealthy, making me powerful, giving me status. But you, he says to Zechariah, you're going to take on the flock doomed to slaughter. You're going to rule them with two rods. Eventually those two rods are going to be broken, but there is a a better idea here than just slaughtering the sheep. You're going to love and care for them. You will have compassion for them, and it will break your heart when I have no pity for them anymore. When Jesus arrives on the scene, there are shepherds over the people of Israel. There's the Herodians, there's the Pharisees, there's the Sadducees. We could say the Romans are in some ways a shepherd that sees the flock as only valuable and as what it can provide for the nation of Rome. And God says, these shepherds, they don't have your best interest at heart. They're not going to go seek the lost sheep and bring it home and rehabilitate it and love it well. But Jesus will seek you out. Jesus will find you. He'll carry you on his shoulders when you are too weak to walk. He'll bring you into his home and rehabilitate you so that you can join the rest of the flock in the open country. And he will rejoice when it happens. And the question we have to ask ourselves, are we the sheep that are out in the field asking, hey, where's our shepherd? Why is he not here with us? Why is he out there seeking the lost? Or are we the friends that have been invited to celebrate and rejoice in the household when the shepherd has found the lost sheep? I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a sheep with an opinion. I I want to be one who follows the shepherd. I want to move from being just a sheep to being a trusted friend who is invited to the celebration. That's another key and important thing for us to recognize. In each of these parables, as we move forward, there's a celebration when the lost thing is found and friends are invited. In some cases, the friends are servants. I want us to recognize this morning that our role in the kingdom of heaven, as described by this, is to be the ones who rejoice, to be the ones who celebrate when the lost are found, when the one that could have been dead or left for dead is brought home and rehabilitated. I think that's the good news of this parable. This morning, I want to I affirm to you this idea that Jesus loves you that the world might call you a lost sheep. It might call you a, a lamb that is only good for the slaughter, that you have no value other than what you can provide to somebody else. But Jesus says that you are valuable enough to go and seek. That you are valuable enough to spend time rehabilitating. That he would bring you 
stay in his home until you can be reintroduced to the flock. That's what a good shepherd looks like. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we, we want to be the friends that rejoice, to sit around your table and be glad that one of yours has returned home. Father, we want to be the people who, who see, see the long game of the kingdom of heaven, who can look past the difficulties that some of us face in coming to be involved in the life of the church, to being uh, a part of the family, to being returned to the flock and being in the open country. God, we want to be the people who see in the moment of salvation the joy of what you have done. Father, I pray this morning for those who feel like they're lost sheep, for those who feel like they are on the outside. God, I pray that that you would use us to be the hands and feet of Jesus, that go and seek them out and carry them back, even if they are too weak to do so themselves, Father. I pray this morning for those that are sitting here in this room that feel as though their only value is in how they can enrich someone else. I pray, Father, that they would see themselves through the eyes of the Good Shepherd, intrinsically valuable themselves. I pray that they would know that Jesus loves them deeply, that he desires to bring them home, and that there is a family waiting to celebrate, friends waiting to rejoice over their return. God, in all this, we pray that we can just have the heart of Jesus that we can rejoice over the lost who are found. It's all this that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, if you have need of the church, if we, if we can pray for you, uh, if you need someone to walk alongside you, if you need us to carry you for a little while, uh, we would be happy to do that. If you want to be baptized, we're happy to baptize you this morning. We believe that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the greatest hope for humanity. It is the only hope for eternal life, and we believe that participating in that through baptism is a beautiful and wonderful thing. It is an opportunity we present to you this morning, if that is what you want, to be a lost sheep who is found and brought home. I'm going to be at the back of the auditorium. Uh, Some of our elders are here, and they'd be happy to visit with you if you'd rather visit with them. We've got some ladies here who would be happy to pray with you or visit with you as well. Uh, We're going to stand and we're going to sing. Thank you, Kyle.